0: joseph and i'm nick and this is fish jelly how are you i'm great how are you good um
1: i mean i'm just fine
0: oh (laughs) that shifted very quickly i wanted
1: to be tony the tiger for just a second
0: um so it's not raining at the moment
1: yeah it's been we've had like two days without rain Uh,
0: but it's going to continue it is yeah and Mm -hmm. tomorrow and the day after should be very wet. I'm tired of that. Sarah polly Is uh, that the lady who did women talking? Yeah. Oh, today's her birthday. Happy birthday, girl Um <laughs> so we were asked what we thought about the Renfield trailer.
1: Renfield.
0: What do you think about the Renfield trailer? It
1: looks entertaining and finally a role that Nicholas Cage can sing his teeth into.
0: And you watched the Barbie trailer.
1: I did. I think the way it was described was better than it is but i like the idea
0: wait you think that
1: i thought it was, i thought you thought it was gonna be more than what you got i thought it was gonna be margot robbie smashing those little dolls but it was the children
0: oh okay
1: well uh, so i mean it looks fine and then you get that little blip of her and Issa ray and ryan gosling i don't know we'll see how subversive Gerwig can get
0: do you know who Noah Schnapp
1: is? That sounds familiar. The kid
0: from Stranger Things.
1: Oh, that's why. Okay.
0: He's come out as a homosexual. He said that he. I, I guess I'm more similar to Will than I thought.
1: My Instagram handle is. Uh...
0: Did you? I I didn't finish strange. I only watched season one, I... but but you watched seasons two and three. Yeah. You watched all of them. I
1: watched all of them.
0: Were you aware that his character was gay? No. I think they say it in the show don't maybe. they? maybe or maybe uh, not or maybe he confirmed it after the show I don't know anything about this person but um, that seemed relevant to bring up that he is
1: well welcome to the club but uh, okay
0: um, so Ed Norton he there's that show called finding your roots
1: Yeah, Sigourney's been on it
0: so he was on it uh, that's the one where Julia Roberts. I think that's the episode where she talks about Martin Luther King in Coretta, or no?
1: I thought she brought that up on a talk show. She was asked about. You're
0: it. right. Anyway, he was on there, and it is confirmed that he is a dis, or like he, his twelfth great grandmother is Pocahontas. No. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. I thought that
0: was interesting.
1: That is interesting.
0: Okay, <laughs> we
1: had a question about, like, how should maybe Elizabeth Warren should do finding her
0: roots. <laughs> oh God, how should horror be categorized?
1: How should horror?
0: H O R R O R.
1: I don't. I don't want to use that expletive again.
0: Like, because there are so many different offshoots that they felt like to call like the umbrella of horror is too broad and they're often disappointed kind of like queer so do you think that horror should be broken up into many genres
1: i yeah i think that if you have an interest in that i don't know that
0: i like this question that's why i'm like having a hard time
1: sure but but i mean how invested are you in it and and of course you can that can exist as a dialogue between interested people, but we live in a country where, you know, so much uh, other differentiations probably should be made first. So I'm not (laughs) expecting a lot of people.
0: I don't know that I think like a category of film needs. There's certain things like if I'm just, I mean, I'm looking at a bunch of hair products right now. I think that needs to be tagged and categorized properly. So when people search through, like a shop page they can find something that has a particular fragrance is intended for volume is sulfate free like i think that makes sense to really break down so people can get an understanding of what they're buying since they can't use it first but with cinema i just think like what do you want i mean to break it down then then really what needs to happen is you just need to read like the plot synopsis of everything you're considering because how I don't know, like I
1: think I
0: think what would be more
1: appropriate for me and how my what I gravitate towards is much like, you know, classifications in the animal kingdom. There's the kingdom is horror. The phylum would be babysitter horror. The class would be blah, blah, blah. The order would be, you know, But see you like that idea. I like that idea for those that want to dig that far down into it.
0: But I don't know that I think that's helpful because it's like, there's, there have been so many movies that it's like,
1: but we put those classifications on everything. Somebody else, not the, not the artists themselves.
0: Sure. But you know, it's like, if you're browsing through Amazon and they just have horror and then they have suspense, I mean, they do break it up into, I don't know that I don't like that. I mean, for our channel on the playlist, horror, suspense, thriller are all one thing, okay. but I did that on purpose because I feel like there are so many things that are ambiguous. Like it's just hard to categorize. Um, I think something that's under the umbrella of horror, suspense, thriller. Well, but again, that's where
1: subcategorization's categorizations help, I think. So you do think whereas where especially something's more of a hybrid, like comedy horror, which to me is not horror, it's comedy, but technically we're getting into dark comedy or I don't know. yeah
0: this conversation is not going where i thought it would oh, um, oh no not because of you i'm just i i didn't yeah i i didn't necessarily care for the question because i just don't know oh he didn't care for the question. well because you know like how people think hereditary or midsummer or not horror films and it's like well yeah if you're looking for freddy krueger to bust out of someone's dream no it's not but i think the bigger umbrella of something that has a mood and that's enough for me and if i'm interested in a title then i would just read the one sentence about it so i i don't know that i need 15 tags like babysitter you know korean no. like i mean it, it just gets so specific that it's like you're looking for a very specific movie why don't you just rewatch that movie you're trying to duplicate i don't know sure for but like you're talking for a can
1: a casual consumer you know what if i'm trying to put together a list of you know uh uh pedo horror films or <laughs> like... i I don't know. That that deal with a certain what was if, limiting. If like... I'm looking to deal with something that's of a very specific nature, but I know there's a handful of films that have all touched upon it.
0: I'm, I'm 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 amused that I feel this way because I, I I'm surprised at myself, but I just think like it feels limiting to the creators of the films. Like if 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 we start pushing this idea that like if you're going to make a horror film and it's going to be a creature feature, it has to follow this format, oh, no, or no. you're going to be miscategorized. I don't think it, I'm it, not saying that's what you think. I'm just thinking that that's my fear with like people wanting to know exactly. This is not like the food you're ordering on Uber Eats or some shampoo you're buying from Ulta. This is like someone's art well it's never going to be categorized exactly no it's not so that's why i think that it does to me i don't need a bunch of sub genres you know maybe the region it's from you know language for language purposes but i don't know that i need to know that it's you know like I'm... it's scary in this way it, it's just horror suspense like there's going to be some dread like you know you read the one sentence and... oh
1: sure i think i'm approaching this subject from a purely organizational standpoint and not, not uh, as something
0: I am consuming or look, am looking for a particular feeling oh, to get. I, I think to organize it, yeah, you do need certain markers. Like That's reg- why I'm talking. But... but but very general, like region, date, like I should be able to search, like, oh, this categorizes horror from Spain mm-hmm. in the 80s. And then I have that cohort. And then they require, like, if I really want something specific, then I should probably do some work. I don't want someone to cure it. Like, I don't want tags on a, And like like a product to be used to curate for me what I think I want because if you are a casual person I feel like you need to take the like the effort to try to find something that appeals to you Mm -hmm. and if things are super categorized you probably are not going to be exposed to like the full breadth of what's out there so like if you're just really into like Japanese movies about creepy girls and like that's just like what you keep trying to 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 duplicate the feeling you have when you watch the ring or whatever for the first time (laughs) I don't know I mean go off if that's what you want to do but I just don't that's how I took the question when the person wrote it which was much longer than what I said that it was more like that they don't like that they don't know what they're getting and it's like well when you open a book when you listen to a new song like you don't know there's a reason you that it, you gravitated towards that top ten creepy Japanese girls with a Gaga twist. Go, because <laughs> to me, even like the artwork for a film can be misleading. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a purpose for it, so yeah. it's like that's what to me like over categorizing films would be like.
1: Yes, I, I,
0: I. It's like being duped by a cool movie poster. Sure. So, babysitter camp, or you know, like summer camp slasher horror. Okay there are a lot of those out there but they're not going to be of the quality or give you the feeling of friday the 13th I had the first time watching yeah Away camp. i don't know i'm i'm going on about something that i didn't think about much so mm-hmm. i feel stupid though we can move on to sorry to this man in our women talking review
1: i for, i completely forgot to talk about francis mcdormand
0: you didn't say a single word i don't even think you said a word that started with f <laughs> so yeah but the probably the reason you didn't is because she's She's barely in it but yeah she doesn't have anything to do she's
1: in it it had uh, we were a friend was watching it and i had the same thought it's like meryl streep and suffragette it's like you can't really she's not really in it in a moment she has like yeah her character's
0: in the beginning and and then pops
1: up very she doesn't even have dialogue
0: and then she doesn't like what the women are talking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) so then she leaves and then that's the end of her
1: but i again i think it's it doesn't even matter she's just the the barest of accents and is lending her name to a project really uh but yeah i think there were obviously much more interesting things to talk about in that film
0: do you want to address how to pronounce Saban films or is it saban
1: it's saban okay but you know being where i'm from i grew up with a family whose last name was sabin spelled the same way pronounced that way so i i know we'd received that comment a few times and i'm like okay
0: Look, I appreciate me, that we shouldn't look, mispronounce, of you know, course names, not. But I also think it's funny that most of the Saban films we review are Saban. not Saban are not good movies. So it's like this is what you're focusing on is how we said Saban when Be, this movie's terrible. But okay,
1: the man who created the Saban Entertainment Group is technically Israeli American, so that is his. That's how you pronounce his name.
0: Well, I certainly don't want to purposely mispronounce a name. So Saban, um, of
1: course not. I just don't. Yeah i'm not into the practice of looking up how to produce distributors names i guess but
0: uh but which fine now that i know yeah noted um, that, yeah uh and then in one video you were talking about so diana ross you were talking about the bodyguard i said
1: something else wrong
0: and you said that it was originally supposed to star diana ross and steve mcqueen
1: or Ryan O'Neill. I so, think that the, both of those
0: names have been brought up in conversation with And that then film. someone like there were two comments about no, it's Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill. I thought Steve McQueen was a director. So Steve McQueen was a white
1: matinee idol oh. before it was Steve McQueen, the black director.
0: I guess I only know the black director.
1: <laughs> well, that's I mean, Steve McQueen from from bullets and the great escape and. Papillon, you don't know any of the, the sand pebbles, uh, the blob. I know there's a movie called the blob he's the star in that who is like a, a total grown-ass man and is playing a high schooler uh i yes because diana ross used to date ryan o'neill but there were other references to um steve mcqueen being potentially in conversation for that film at one point as well
0: noted films released we didn't cover the subtle art of not giving a fuck
1: a documentary that came out like last wednesday uh based on a book of the same name it's a documentary about finding true happiness while embracing one's own flaws and limitations directed by nathan price and featuring the man who wrote the book mark manson
0: grasshoppers
1: uh i might write about this for our site Uh, brad bischoff debut uh in the stars sally bakri who I also just watched the Blue Captain and another film that's going to come up in today's conversation mm-hmm. and uh, that I, I don't know if it's because he played a, a gay character in Blue Captain and I looked at him in a different light, but I'm like, oh, he's an incredibly handsome man. Uh, and I, I don't know if yeah, again, I don't know if I paid more attention because he played a, a gay character versus you know a vast filmography of straight ones but uh this movie was kind of interesting but very indie it's about these this immigrant couple who uh this are kind of squatting and having a difficult time in this fancy resort community where everybody's on vacation and they decide to go enter each uh, Residents, since no one's home, and have a drink, and so by the end of it, they're really drunk and maybe kind of starting to deal with some of their issues, and of course, not being able to have children, and blah 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 blah. Will remind you a lot of things, such as Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. but uh, I didn't love it, but it's, it's interesting for a, a limited uh, uh, independent film. Mm. And then
0: Alcaras,
1: Alcaras by. Carla Simon uh,
0: from oh I thought that was Carly Simon <laughs> Carlos Simon okay
1: yeah well I didn't have the accent on that. um that one Berlin uh in 2022 and it opened this weekend uh was also Spain's uh, submission for best international feature uh, which I liked well enough you know last year Berlin was kind of a weak crop and Alcaraz did. Stand out. I don't know whoever's hailing it on the, as a masterpiece on the poster apparently hasn't seen a lot of film, but it's very uh, familiar and similar to a lot of other films. that Basically, this family uh, of harvesters that finds out that they have been there for generations, but they don't actually own the land because grandpa never got anything in writing about it, so they're about to be evicted and be, and then what they're gonna do. And the, uh, also, some other unrest going on in the industry in, the, in this region of the country. Um, again, good performances, good writing. If you've seen any kind of film, you've seen this story before in some shape, way or form, uh, but it's fine that, that opened this week. I, I didn't even ask you if you wanted to watch it. Oh, um,
0: <clears throat> one second, because I just learned something interesting. All right. So movies we watch for fun. Uh, I put on Jack Frost or you did
1: uh i think it was a mutual decision
0: what did you think of jack frost i hated it oh i thought it was funny (laughs) because it seems like the people who made it knew exactly what they you know were they knew what they were doing and i think all the years that i saw the poster like in the video store for jack frost and online i assumed it'd be like this super low budget like unbearable film to watch and the production quality is actually pretty good I they did a little with a, a
1: lot or they did a lot with a little yes. bit, which I think is apparent but it gets tedious
0: uh sure I was very amused uh, by it uh more so than you apparently but I, I I think I was pleasantly surprised because I assumed it would be like schlock yes um,
1: and I, I want to go back to something quickly and not that, you know, uh, I didn't have time to duly research this because uh, it's just always been in my head movie. But if you uh, Google Steve McQueen, Diana Ross, the bodyguard, Wikipedia does it, uh, immediately come up as Lawrence Kasdan wrote the film, The Mid-70s, originally as a vehicle for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross. Oh, OK. So, yes, his name was in conversation culturally with that project in the 70s. According to Wikipedia, well,
0: uh, <laughs> which anyone can post on, but whatever. Well,
1: there's another article from 2020 from cheat sheet. Um, uh which references that as well. I think that if you go back in
0: the trades, I bet you find that somewhere. Sure. I mean, okay. Uh, whatever.
1: It didn't get made with them.
0: Uh, you watched a movie called A Hard Day's Night?
1: Uh, uh, yes. The mockumentary about the Beatles, which Spice World is trying hard to be. Uh, Directed by Richard Lester, who won the Palme d'Or, I think just two years after this, for The Knack and How to Get It, uh, which I also recently watched and talked about, which I'm sure you don't remember. And then we watched Richard Lester's uh, The Ritz with Rita Moreno recently. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yes, it's the Beatles starring as themselves. Uh, You know, this movie is hailed as one of the best of its kind. It's on all kinds of uh, prestigious lists. I was amused, but also kind of minimally. I do like the Beatles catalog, I guess. Uh, I, to, to be honest, I was a little bored, but uh, I, I guess knowing their impact and that this is at the height of Beatlemania, I can understand why people were so intense about it
0: the ufo incident
1: uh, which i reviewed for our site it's a blu-ray release from kino lorber i think the blu-ray came out in june i'm way behind on things i get uh but we you watch this together
0: yeah uh, i i would say it's worth a watch if it's easily accessible uh it's james earl jones and estelle parsons estelle parsons playing it's based on a true story of a couple an interracial couple who claimed they were abducted by aliens and it's told from the perspective of their therapist attempting to like through hypnosis try to understand like what what their experience was because certainly the therapist is skeptical that aliens abducted them and there's some inconsistencies in their stories particularly from the wife who maybe conflates like a dream mm-hmm. with <clears throat> what she thinks happened by being abducted with aliens and then for the husband I, I think it's safe to assume that some trauma related to being a black man in the 50s mm-hmm. the 60s probably um,
1: well being part of an interracial couple uh that's know very white community
0: certainly probably influences mental health and and how he saw things and how he's interpreting and maybe they're having this shared experience that they're choosing to as a way to kind of work out i i think the trauma that they're experiencing but of they... course you know the story is you know it's based on true stories so obviously the ending is very clear which is we've never discovered aliens so <laughs> we know that you know there's no answer to the question except that the, the therapist seems to believe that this is just uh sort of a shared experience that they've created mm-hmm. to deal with whatever traumas and anxieties they have but unfortunately i i think the film's pretty dry up until the climax i mean i guess it's a climax where we get a scene where the therapist has the husband and wife under hypnosis in separate sessions mm-hmm. and we hear them sort of explaining what happened and they're crying oh my god and it is I mean, it's uncomfortably funny.
1: I mean, James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons are going in
0: in these moments. So I would recommend it for that. If you
1: like them. You know, it's interesting because they both played in more notable films in as part of interracial couples in in, in films that I I think were very meaningful. You know, James Earl, both in 1970, James Earl Jones is in The Great White Hope as this boxer dating a white woman played by Jane Alexander. Mm -hmm. And then Estelle Parsons is in the Phenomenal Watermelon Man from Melvin Van Peebles. Yeah, I need to rewatch Watermelon. Man. Oh my man. God, Godfrey Cambridge, who is in whiteface because the plot is he wakes up one morning and he's black, and then his white wife is does not know how to handle it. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting that these two headlined this, and it was a movie made for television, the UFO incident. Uh, so I can see what they're trying to do, but it's it it, it doesn't really work. Um, because it feels like a film based on a National Enquirer headline.
0: We watched Out of Sight. I had never seen it.
1: I haven't seen it in probably damn near 30 years. You really liked it. I did. I think it's one of Jennifer Lopez's best uh, performances before she's trying too hard. She's not overly stylized yet.
0: Eh, do I agree it's her best performance? Sure. I don't not, But I don't think it's difficult. I don't know. It's, it's like be being the smartest Kardashian. The I don't best.
1: Know. No, she has some good Selena. I Uh
0: I, I would. Say maybe Selena's probably my favorite performance of hers. I know people like the cell. The cell, yeah. I think the cell looks cool. I don't yeah. know that I think she's great in it. Sure. Um, but I, I I would agree her work in Out of Sight is good. And I think I don't know that I really ever thought mm, George Clooney was handsome, but in this movie I think he's very handsome.
1: He is very handsome. Yeah.
0: The story's kind of ridiculous. It was definitely a fun ride. Mm-hmm. I like Bing Rames. I always like Ving Rhames, but yeah, I, you liked it more than I did, but I do think it's good. Mm -hmm. And if a person hasn't seen it, um, which I can't imagine anyone who's interested in George Clooney or Jennifer Lopez hasn't seen it.
1: Well, you know, and it's on the verge of a lot of things because this is Soderbergh and it's right before much greater hits, like the Ocean's Eleven films, right? And it's before Jennifer Lopez's, it's before her first album yeah you know so so it it comes at a really interesting time in their careers and i think was kind of overshadowed by the stars and the director themselves and what they would later
0: do i think it's a little over the top but it's not fun enough sure for for me but again i still would give it like three out of five i I do think it's a good movie but
1: you know and and i reviewed this for our site as well uh but elmore leonard adaptations the, the, the three the trifecta that are so good get shorty and uh which i really need to re-watch it's been forever and my favorite tarantino which is jackie brown is also based on an elmore leonard film and all of those those films have that energy
0: you watch brahmastra part one shiva
1: oh god this was really hard for me to get through um it's part of a planned uh universe uh, indian fantasy film uh, directed by ayak Mukherjee, and i watched it because i interviewed the actor uh, Ali Bhat for Gangubai Kati Awadi, like a filmed interview for a Q and A, because she just had a kid and she couldn't travel here, and they're trying to amp up that film's uh, Oscar potential because uh, it, it got a, a decent amount of buzz since it premiered at Berlin last year. I did not like it. It was it was like a Marvel film, just you know, set in India.
0: Hmm. You watched Joyland.
1: Uh, I missed this at Cannes last year in UCR. Uh, in certain regard. Uh, it is Pakistan's official selection, I think, uh, for the Oscars. Uh, first time, I think it's the debut from Saim Sadiq. Uh, and it's about uh, a young man who becomes obsessed with this trans woman uh, in this burlesque uh, dance hall that he works in. And it's it was a lot more interesting and, and layered than I was anticipating. And I did enjoy it
0: identification marks, none.
1: There's a Yerzy Skolomowski uh, retrospective going on right now. Uh, And I was going to see this in the theater, but Mubi uh, had an advertisement for it, so I watched it. It's, It's Skolomowski's debut in which he stars himself in a character that I think playing a version of himself three times it's about a, a guy that's about to enter into military service and it's his last 24 hours before that happens uh it feels very french new wave it it it, it really has that kind of energy so reading about it it was no surprise to learn that gadar champion skolomowski from the get-go
0: good guys wear black
1: you watched part of this with me this was terrible uh i don't recall with chuck norris
0: Oh, that was hard to. Chuck Norris is not. I mean, his from the neck down, he's very impressive. But the hair and the face and his acting is crunchy. Well, he
1: can't. He can't. I like how you heard that. Uh, Yeah, he can't (laughs) act his way out of a bag, which is what what's his name said about Marilyn, and I don't agree with. Um, Oh, you. I
0: mean, if you're going to use that same well, yeah, no. I mean, this is bad acting.
1: Um. It, and it also has Anne Archer, which I guess was I was kind of interested in. And she's acting like a little girl. Uh, and oh God, who else is... I'm forgetting who else is in it. But I, I think it was an, an, disappointed because it's directed by Ted Post, who directed this gloriously terrible film. Well, it's not terrible. I think it's great. Uh, the Baby with Ruth Roman, which if you haven't seen The Baby from 1973, get out there and see it. Uh, and he also directed a Planet of the Apes sequel, and I think Magnum Force, one of the Dirty Harry movies. So my expectations for this, even though it starred Chuck Norris, were a little higher than what it gives, because I, I hated it.
0: Blue Bayou.
1: Uh, Justin Chan's third feature, which I missed at Cannes 2021, I think, because by the time it, I missed it at that festival, and by the time it came out, I was somewhere, I think it was in Venice, uh, with Alicia Vikander, and it was interesting. It's a bit overwrought, uh, even though it has a really interesting, important storyline about this Korean American guy who was adopted in the 80s by these trash white people who never, he, there's, I think it, they, the, the statistics at the end were like 1945 through 1998, there's this law in effect that if you weren't, don't have the, as a, even as an adopted child, if it wasn't through the proper channels and you don't have the correct paperwork, you can be if DHS is aware of you, you can be um, deported at the age of 18. And just like these people have grown up. Americans are just transported to these places where obviously they don't speak the language. They're they're completely detached and dissociated from. Like it's it's just inherently a story of great cruelty. What we do to people. But I think John goes in with all kinds of extra uh, melodramas that I don't know that he needs all of.
0: Lastly, the band's visit.
1: Uh, this was excellent. I, I The the debut of a Ran uh Israeli filmmaker uh, who has a new film out this week that I was going to review for our side as well. And I just never seen it, even though it stars Ter- uh, Tariq Saleh, who I just referenced, and this is him, you know, in 2007, and uh, an actress I love that is dead now, uh, Ranit Elkabetz, uh, who just a beautiful screen presence who is also a fantastic director writer um I, I was very entertained it's a very it's about this uh band of police officers this musical band from egypt that uh, are stranded in this small town in israel uh on their way to a performance and uh a very human
0: touching story okay we need to take a break Okay. Apparently in me rushing you, you made a mistake. So what was that? Yes. Mistake? Rushing for the break. Uh, Tariq Sala is the, the director
1: of the Nile Hilton incident. Uh, and I meant Sala Bakri who I referenced earlier in this conversation. Uh, and also, uh, I referenced the, the person saying that Marilyn couldn't act way out of a bag was Richard Widmark.
0: Unfortunately there are entries in the obituary section. Someone named Owen Roisman.
1: A very notable cinematographer who shot The French Connection and The Exorcist for William Friedkin. uh, And then also worked on a lot of very notable Sidney Pollack films such as uh, Three Days of the Condor, uh, Tootsie, uh, Absence of Malice. Which I don't really love Absence of Malice. But um, I do like Sidney Pollack a lot. Uh, But yeah, he died. He was in his 80s.
0: And Anita Pointer died last week. And like right as we were... It in the we we missed it but mm-hmm. she was a member of the group the pointer sisters they were a very popular group female group in the 80s really mm-hmm. is when they were popping mm-hmm. they have like over a dozen like top 20 hits what's your favorite pointer Sisters song
1: i don't know there's so many good ones the neutron dance my early uh, childhood memories is buying a tape a tape at a garage sale like as a small boy with my mother and really liking
0: uh is it slow hand oh yeah it's like that's not for kids my mom's <laughs>
1: like i don't think this song's for you but uh, he likes it
0: my like obviously like neutron dance so excited are really great tracks oh, yeah. but i always find myself uh listening to dare me i really like that song and th- there's they're their song automatic. I do like, but there are other artists who have redone automatic, like ultra Mm Nate has done a version of that, that I really like, but yeah, the pointer sisters, I was reading about them. They started out as a duo, like the two sisters, and then they brought on a third and then a fourth and then let go of one. So the ones that we ended up with are the ones who we know for their big songs, but Ruth I'm sorry, Ruth is my favorite Pointer sister, Mm -hmm. but Anita, it looks like she fell ill like in 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. because they were still touring, uh, but they were having to use like Ruth's, like Anita was on tour with them, but Ruth's like granddaughter was also part of the group. But I was reading that because Ruth was on season six of The Masked Singer, which I did not know. So now I have to watch season six of The Masked Singer to see Ruth Pointer. But originally it was supposed to be Ruth and Anita. Oh. But she couldn't because she was sick. And apparently she died from cancer. But um another thing about Anita Pointer that I remember is she has her own episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I
1: think I've seen that because I remember looking you showing that, showing her house.
0: She's so fabulous. And you know, I think. I really like Ruth's voice. It's Mm -hmm. kind of gravelly and deep. And Anita has more of like a belty singer's voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people would always comment on their appearance, that they weren't the most attractive bunch of ladies, which I don't agree with. I think Anita was beautiful. Yeah, uh, yeah. So is Ruth. Haters. They're haters. But anyway, including
1: amongst them, Jody Watley.
0: Oh, yes, that's true. (laughs) Look it up. But, um yeah so she's no longer with us all right the secret movie it was your choice i
1: was gonna watch something else but we ended up being a time crunch and the film i wanted to select which i guess i'll kick two weeks ahead of time is longer
0: i mean this one was nearly two hours so how long was that other movie
1: 159 minutes
0: oh god well the film you chose is the 1987 british film directed by stephen frears Mm -hmm. prick up your ears Mm -hmm. which is
1: supposedly a phrase that means uh, the depending on how you say it like prick up your ass
0: so prick up your ears the is the title it's uh it's based on a play mm-hmm. and it's about the playwright joe orton mm-hmm. and his lover partner kenneth hallowell mm-hmm. and the stories i was not familiar with this gentleman or these gentlemen but the story as it's told in this movie is pretty basic these two guys meet um when they both Uh, attend the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts as like young men Mm -hmm. they develop a relationship we see they've been together for 10 plus years and during that time Joe has become more notable than Kenneth as an artist and Kenneth has grown to resent him in the movie Joe is played by Gary Oldman Mm -hmm. and Kenneth is played by Alfred Molina and I, I mean, arguably Gary Oldman's more attractive in the movie and that's how his character is supposed to be like the more desirable one. And Kenneth, his resentment builds up. He becomes a recluse. He has high anxiety. He's paranoid, very frustrated. Joe is Mm hypersexual, constantly looking for sex and we can talk about it, but it all leads to now that, you know, Joe's success is growing and he's making money and Clearly Kenneth is unhappy one night Joe comes home and asks Kenneth, like, what if we break up? Cause maybe we should. And Kenneth gets mad and Joe goes to sleep and Kenneth bludgeons Joe to death with a hammer and then kills himself with a drug overdose. So that's the story we're told and it's told via well, two methods. One is that Joe kept a very detailed journal. So there's a biographer played by inconceivable. What's his name? Wallace Sean. He is this.
1: Inconceivable. Bi-
0: oh, inconceivable. He plays this biographer who is working with Joe Orton's agent played by Vanessa Redgrave mm-hmm. to help him understand who he was. So he can write this book. So she's sort of narrating and then we're sort of getting stories that are plucked out of the journal. I really like the construction of the narrative. I do too. Um, overall, I thought this was a very good movie considering it's from the 80s and it stars two men who I'm presuming have always um, identified as being straight men. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty bold. Yeah, I think it's very, it plays very bold. And the first half of the movie, is not meandering, but it's definitely like, I, I didn't expect it to become so sexual. And mm-hmm. it's not sexual and sort of like we're seeing graphic acts of sex, but more of the talking about it and how open these two were like literally and also with just like
1: well, it, and it felt very true to the culture that the the queer culture of these men like and, and how they, they would go off and cruise together and what that meant for them as uh, as a couple. And uh, it, you just didn't see anything really around this time period, even, you know, attempting to 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 deal with that subject.
0: This movie's critically acclaimed. Roger Ebert gave it four out of four stars, although I was reading his little thing and he's really giving praise to Vanessa Redgrave's performance as being the highlight, which I don't know that I would think that. I don't, I, she's great, she's fine, but she's really not the anchor, I feel like.
1: Well, they're doing some interesting things with her character. Um, and I do really, I love her screen presence. Sure. But But, you know, she's really getting in between two different couples in this movie because Wallace Shawn is married to Lindsay Duncan and they're both by bi- they're, they're both writing this biography of, of Joe Orton. And cl- clearly what Vanessa, Vanessa Redgrave, her actions are pivoting away from the Lindsay Duncan character. And she's manipulating like she did with Orton and, uh, Kenneth. They
0: are what's lacking for me in the, so I, I, I think I just would have wanted more. Like this could have been a longer movie sure. because There are several things happening. There's this relationship between Joe and Kenneth and the complexity of it. And it's really interesting to talk about because like how sort of the desire that the one had for the other and the, the, the resentment the other has for like, that could be a movie on its own. And then you have
1: sort of the artist,
0: like a very British scandal. And then the artist on both sides, Joe and Kenneth and their work, and then sort of this culture of, like, gay sex in the 80s in the UK. Well, the 60s. or Sorry, 60s. And then the biographer and his wife and her, and just the confrontation of, like, queer topics Mm -hmm. from these side characters. I think all of it could have been paid more attention to. Ultimately, it is a very nice package, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot that I think, I mean, all of it could have been expounded upon. Sure. But of course, you know, it's like, do I want a three and a half hour movie? They're they're
1: also lucky with, I think, what they got away with. And, you know, thinking Stephen Frears, who would do Dangerous Liaisons after this, but just prior to Prick Up Years, he did another very gay movie that's a classic, uh, well-lauded, My Beautiful Laundrette with Mm. Daniel Day-Lewis, which I believe, I feel like I showed you when we were first
0: dating. I there's another movie or is the has the beautiful laundrette been remade oh no 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 the guy with the blonde hair and then like yes yeah LZ lewis i'm familiar with the movie yes mm-hmm. uh, i'm just going to go through my notes so the biographer uh what's his name again wallace sean wallace sean the woman playing his wife she is dictating or transcribing the journal like typing it out Lindsay so
1: Duncan, who you've seen in um a few things
0: and we find out and it's gary oldman's journal and we find out that when gary oldman was like a teenager his parents sent him to school to learn how to type because they thought that was going to be the most reasonable career for him mm-hmm. so he can write shorthand so his journal's in shorthand well the, some the, of it the sex like part. the sexy bits so that he can sort of uh keep that secret So as the wife is trying to transcribe it, she can't read it. And there's a scene where she's sitting in the house with her mother and her mother used to be a secretary and learned shorthand. So she's asking her mother, could you help me (laughs) read these journals? And I thought that was a very fun scene because I think the movie does a good job of showing that at least in the film, that these women, like all the female characters seem much more attuned to sexuality Mm -hmm. and much more accepting. So watching these two women decipher the shorthand, which is kind of graphic, they don't really bat an eyelash as much as they're like, oh, the mom's
1: commentary is funny because she's like, oh, well, talk because he's talking about masturbating. She's like,
0: well, of course you would go do that after that. And like, oh, well, I would hope so. (laughs) But then I thought that was super interesting because I watched this documentary about gay erotica and how the number one consumer of it is like straight women. Mm because they like the themes and they like that there isn't this sort of misogynistic approach to, Mm -hmm. but, and and then also being very rational about the acts. And so I thought that, yeah, how the mother was talking about it, she was thinking about it. Like, yeah, like this makes sense Mm -hmm. that what, what this person needed made sense for them and not what I think is weird or gross. Um, So when Kenneth and Joe meet, at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, there's a scene where they're on stage rehearsing. Doing or an, an acting exercise. They're, yeah, they're doing an exercise, and the teacher tells them, because it's important to know, I think, that Alfred Molina is deliberately sort of supposed to not be very appealing. Yeah, and, and looks older than he is, doesn't know how to style. He's there's even to, commentary yeah. saying, like, oh, yeah, he's old. he looks older than he is, and he's styled, like, he doesn't look good. No. Compared to Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Who I think looks like the the real life person's not exceptional, but I think he's meant to be like sort of a twinky little yeah. cute thing. Like the
1: norm that people seem to be you know attracted to.
0: So when they're doing this acting exercise, the instructor says, like, pretend you're holding a cap. Mm -hmm. So each of the students is holding a cat and tossing it to one another. And when it finally gets tossed to Kenneth, Alfred Molina's character, he basically like strangles and kills the cat, Mm -hmm. the the fake cat. And that's when we see Joe gravitate towards him. Mm -hmm. But during that period, of course, Joe is trying to uh, present as being straight and he has a girlfriend, but he is, um, I mean, seemingly aroused by this dark side to Kenneth. Yes. And I think that's how the film is trying to show, like, their initial attraction, Mm -hmm. because obviously it would make sense that Kenneth just finds Joe attractive. But I was struggling with like, what did Joe see in Kenneth?
1: He offered. He was the an older gentleman that, not that much older, Mm -hmm. I don't think, but but offered him a certain way out of where he was from. Like, there's they reference uh, Eliza Doolittle, which is of course based, uh, My Fair Lady is based on. George Bernard Shaw's *Pygmalion*, but about this artist creating a, a creature that you know will then usurp them, and there's that whole a stars-born energy, like one's on their way up, the other is on their way down. Uh, but to me, and it doesn't directly say this, but my interpretation of why they stayed together so long is partly because Joe Orton felt like he owed this man something because he he kind of acted as a succubus. He he sucked, he gleaned everything that he could to recreate himself, cast himself in a new image and become this, you know, uh, playwright that many considered brilliant.
0: I think that's a good interpretation that Joe felt guilty, like he owed this guy something, but he's giving him so little, which is like, we can just be together. Mm-hmm. I don't really do anything for you and I'm living my own life, but you you still get to be with me.
1: Well, and then as he becomes famous, you know, as as a hanger on, Uh, Kenneth, there there are certain um, what's the word I'm looking for? Why you would stay in a relationship? There are certain um, benefits. um, Benefits from (laughs) benefits. Uh, l- like, you know, because Joe Orton was also writing the script for the Beatles for a film and th- there's a-, a lot of, uh, energy placed on the potential excitement of
0: getting. Well, yeah, Kenneth. I'm, I mean, I'm sure, well, that's probably why a lot of couples stay together who one is more accomplished than the other is like, they do get some shine and the benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it initially I was a little, I was struggling, but yeah, what you said makes sense. So were things really picked up in a direction that I was surprised is about the sex. And specifically it's just describing like how they found sex. And it starts with a scene where Kenneth and Joe are at a park and they're cruising mm-hmm. and Kenneth is not accustomed to that, but Joe is clearly very yes. accustomed. And there's a scene where they find a guy, go back to his place and both of them have sex with him. And it's not super graphic. We, we just but know you that do, it's you happening. you see these actors like tonguing. But yeah, I mean, I was pretty like, it was pretty impressive how they went there with mm-hmm. the themes and the topics like they weren't shy and I didn't need to see nudity and, and you don't get a lot. We, we see Gary Oldman's little tush once, I you think, do, yeah. and you see him in his underwear a lot, but it's not super graphic beyond just like we know that he just had sex. But yeah, that cruising scene was pretty interesting. And then we, we get a lot of that. I mean, Joe is constantly everywhere he looking goes. for sex. Uh, just as an aside, there's a moment where they're eating. And they put on their plate, rice pudding, sardines and jam. Mm-hmm. And I threw up a little bit in my mouth.
1: Oh, well, I, oh, well, that's what I, that your dinner is tonight.
0: <laughs> if you served me,
1: well, it didn't look appealing either. Rice, but, I mean, you know,
0: I love rice pudding. Uh-huh. If you served me rice pudding and put, slap some sardines on top and then put some j- preserves on the corner, well, I would think you're being funny
1: and wasting my money
0: but you're also wasting my money (laughs) and uh and i'd probably just be like well i guess we have to go get some food i guess i guess guess i'm going out (laughs) um i thought a moment that there's a lot about it that resonated with me but i think a moment that made me feel really bad is that joe and kenneth go out cruising at a point and this is after their relationship has really started to deteriorate and joe clearly is not enticed by Kenneth and Kenneth definitely doesn't feel desirable and they're out cruising. And this is after Joe convinces Kenneth to start wearing a wig because mm-hmm. he, by now he's bald because he's completely years. bald and it's clear Joe doesn't like that on him. So he convinced him to wear a wig, but Kenneth is feeling insecure and like, this is not going to work. So Joe goes out cruising with Kenneth and then pays some guy to hit on Kenneth. Mm-hmm which I just thought was like, oh, so manipulative and so sad. And then they do hook up. But then that scene, the police come. Mm -hmm. So then there's like they both have to run. And so that entire like that little three minute situation just spoke so much about what life must have been like during that period for those people.
1: You know, and part of what is keeping these two together is this this toxic, repressive culture
0: as well. Well, that's what I was going to say is I think, you know, I think why it's so hard for some people to stay together, especially nowadays, is like people have so many options, people are seen, they're not afraid of like, I can imagine in the sixties where like I could be arrested for being a homosexual, that if I did find another homosexual who wanted to try to live this pretend life with me, like where we have to be friends and roommates and have separate beds in our apartment, just for companionship, you would make that work. Because it's not that easy to find. Well, it's and it's really easy to
1: manipulate people because, you know, something dangerous about that. Right.
0: Whereas nowadays it's like, you know, like, like, I feel like there's just not a lot to hold on to. Like people feel like they have a lot of options, but that's not what I'm talking about. I just was thinking like in that one scene, there's so much happening that just felt so icky and so stressful and Mm -hmm. so unsatisfying. And yeah.
1: Well, even when he goes to get him out of the, uh, the bathroom, while the hookup's apparently going on, they're not doing anything. Alka is like, we were just talking. <laughs> He's so tentative.
0: Speaking of the women in the film, these characters, people being so sensitive, their landlord is this lady yeah, who immediately recognizes that they're gay because, mm-hmm. you know, they talk to each, they describe each other as friends when they go to see the apartment and Joe mm-hmm. is acting like, no, I'm not going to live here. And she sits on the bed with Kenneth and she's like, well... It's good to have friends and basically acknowledging, like, I see that you're a gay couple and I think it's great. And then throughout the film, she's constantly, like, peeking in on them and, like, seeing them leave. And she's very proud of them. Like, oh, what fabulous lives you live. Mm-hmm.
1: And, the world's at your feet. And I and
0: I thought that was super sweet. Yeah. That she saw them as, like, this special thing. Uh, <laughs>
1: and then the mother, she is shown in Flashback only once, played by the great Julie Walters, um, and I also like his sister, played by Francis Barber.
0: Mm-hmm. Then, excuse me, there's another cruising scene. This is after, there's kind of an explosive scene where Kenneth wants to go to like an award ceremony with Joe and Joe doesn't want him to go. And Kenneth is like, well, can I go? No, because the invitation is for me and a guest. So you can't go unless I go with you. So that's where, you know, Kenneth is sour and feels like, well, I made your career and now I can't. But anyway, Joe does end up going. He takes Vanessa Redgrave, his agent. He wins an award. And then afterwards, instead of going home, he goes to the bathrooms to cruise, Mm -hmm. which was a common practice for him. And then there's a scene where, like, I thought it was very well done Mm -hmm. because it's a pretty big lavatory with lots of urinals and stalls and a huge sink area, like in the center, like an island. And there are all these guys just standing there and when you know what cruising is like it's very obvious Mm -hmm. like you no one needs to stand at a urinal for five minutes Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden when they feel like they're safe they start removing the light bulbs in the bathroom so that it's pitch dark Mm -hmm. i thought that was very well done.
1: basically a little orgy yeah
0: yeah okay then like more and more sex these fools joe and kenneth take a vacation to morocco Mm -hmm. and it was very suddenly last summer to me Mm -hmm. except that it is very explicit the minute they get on that goddamn uh beach there, are are all these young boys
1: yeah there's a flock of boys following them to the ocean and
0: and they're paying and then and then clearly they're using them for sex and it is not implied like they are saying like this is what we're doing and they are paying these young boys uh i mean they're not like 10 or 11 but they're definitely teenagers
1: there's that that line I, I thought of that Liz Taylor says in Suddenly Last Summer about Sebastian Venable, about how he got tired of the little dark ones and he wanted to move on to more white things.
0: Yeah, I mean, because it's like these brown-skinned you know, Moroccan boys. And it I, I was shocked like how explicit it is mm-hmm. with what they're doing. We're not seeing anything, but then we move on to... But
1: then they have an instant there. He uh, Kenneth breaks his typewriter. Oh, I was so annoyed. Yes. Yeah,
0: Joe's trying to work because he's been commissioned to write this script for the Beatles, like like a movie. And, and so Brian, he takes a moment to get on the roof and type. And it looks relaxing. And then Kenneth is mad because he wants attention. Mm-hmm. And then he throws Joe's typewriter over the building, which was so scary because it's like, what if that landed on someone? They would die. Well,
1: and then immediately his response is to go um, have sex. Yeah. Joe Horton.
0: Yeah, which all feels very you know i i think whoever wrote the script mm-hmm. which is based on a play did a very good job of capturing i think the the essence um, of a lot of gay relationships and like the the like the power struggle and that dynamic of wanting to feel desired and having options and sex being so easily attained i think this movie does a very good job of showing how that can develop into a very toxic situation.
1: Yes. And so of course it's based on the actual biography of John Lahr, but Alan Bennett, uh, who wrote the history boys, uh, wrote the screenplay, but yeah, I think he did a, a really good job.
0: Then we get a scene with the manager of the Beatles calling Joe Ryan to talk Hatt's about team. the script and he wasn't with that gay shit. No. He's like, um, because he's he's like, I'm into it, but there are a couple things we need to talk about. First mm-hmm. of all, you have the Beatles smoking weed. They don't do drugs, they have never done drugs, and they will never do drugs. Lies, but the Manelli. way he, but the way he said it was like, of course they do, but you're not gonna put that in mm-hmm. this movie. And then there's another scene where they all hook up with one girl mm-hmm. and the agent's like, Yeah, that's cool, except that you have them all in the same bed. He's like, Yeah, well, if they all sex the same girl, weren't they all together doing it? And it, it's clear like yeah obviously that's how those kind of things work but you're not going to have the beatles it's clear that the beatles are not part
1: of the sexual revolution of the swinging 60s
0: and then there's another moment where they kind of talk about like it's possible that maybe one of the beatles is gay or mm-hmm. i thought that was interesting but but just the fact that joe orton had the opportunity to write a script for the beatles is very intriguing mm-hmm.
1: um i oh so um entertaining mr sloan and loot are his bigger His big plays, you know, he's murdered when he was 34. There's a film version of Entertaining Mr. Sloan from 1970 starring Beryl Reed, which I
0: I own and I've seen, and it it is enjoyable. We have five minutes left. Um, I did want to say, I I think probably the funnest moment of the film is when the mom dies and the family goes to her viewing. And we see Joe with his sister and their relationship. Because it's like... It's told in flashback obviously because the film open like like we know that the 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 film opens with the biographer meeting Vanessa Redgrave mm-hmm. so this is like they both have already died. So it's flashback but then we get like flashbacks within the flashback and we we can see that the relationship between Joe and his sister and how she kind of always knew he was gay and she really loved her brother and probably was concerned for him and wanted him to be more authentic but they're like kind of like laughing at the funeral and i thought that was funny and then it transitions to him like cruising the funeral director's son Mm -hmm. this young guy and then that's when his sister realizes like my brother's gay Mm -hmm. and then we move on to the bodies being cremated and then we have the sister and vanessa redgrave with the ashes and they're putting them together Mm -hmm. like as if which i thought was interesting because like, if you killed me, I don't know that I want to be buried with you. I think were you. trying to be <laughs> because they
1: also had a long-standing relationship.
0: Which but... I can appreciate, and I thought it was very sweet. But the sister's trying to measure the ashes. And I think Vanessa Redgrave says something like this is a... It's not a recipe. Yeah, it's, it's a, not a it's recipe. A it's just a gesture. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to measure out tablespoons of ashes? Into the,
1: thing? The, the thing about with the the mother's funeral too is she didn't have her teeth in the casket because
0: oh they were playing with her dentures that was was funny
1: misplay so gary oldman takes the dentures and gives them to this young (laughs) actor uh right Right before he hits the stage like gives his mother's teeth and that's actors played by stephen mcintosh uh who's in another uh very interesting queer film called different for boys what
0: would you give this film
1: is it different for boys or different for girls uh i give it four out of five i I think it's fantastic
0: I would give it three and a half out of five. I think it's very good. I would definitely recommend it. I think, and Gary Oldman's really cute in this movie. He um, is. So it's fun to see him in this kind of role. Yeah,
1: well, young and early in his career, and, you know, a, kind of a ballsy move for all these people to do this at this time.
0: Yeah. But, you know, they're also European, so I feel like there's a little more. My, <laughs> my impression is that for him to transition to being a film star in the U.S., knowing that he's European probably he probably gets more leeway sure. from american audiences
1: and this did uh compete at can where i i did i think the cinematographer won an award uh and also
0: access to foreign film back then was different was different yeah. so p- probably no one had even seen or heard of this movie
1: well yeah the academy certainly didn't nominate because what anything. was his big it got Ga- several BAFTA nods, though
0: what's gary ullman's like first big movie in the u.s
1: Oh, the professional. Maybe when was that? Like ninety four. Oh yeah. So or, I
0: mean, who knew about Gary Oldman, this gay movie from seven years prior, like in, in the U.S. Uh, I'm sure you know he has a
1: really memorable role in True Mo- True Romance. I think a year or so, or a year or so before that. But
0: well, this was a good choice. Um, we have ninety seconds left. Do you have a quote for us
1: uh, from Joe Orton?
0: Well, before you read the quote, uh, do you have any? Uh,
1: what are we watching this week? Uh Nia Long film called Missing and Oh uh House Party. House tomorrow. Party.
0: And we have a couple of videos dropping, I know.
1: Uh, uh I'm Saint Omer. I'm hoping you watch this this week with me because it opens next week and that's uh was on my top ten of the year.
0: I'm aware, yes. But go ahead and read your quote from Joe Orton.
1: With madness, as with vomit, it's the passerby who receives the inconvenience.
0: Oh, that's yeah, that's true. Do you have anything else? No. Ta-ta.
1: big, 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 big,